Lord, you are holy. You're worthy to be worshipped and to be praised. And we just thank you, Lord, for tonight and the opportunity we have to gather in your name. And Father, we pray again that your spirit would increase, Lord, that the man would decrease, that you would be glorified. May each heart be prepared to hear from you tonight. We thank you and we praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Welcome again to Calvary Santa Cruz. If you have your Bibles, turn to Leviticus chapter 26. We continue our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. Really good to have you guys here. I um, want to encourage you, just, uh, just a, by way of blessing, we had a couple different people stop by. Well, one person stopped by the church today and one called. And those of you guys who are so faithful to give, it's neat for you to hear the fruit of ministry. We had a couple that came by that's been listening to our, going on our website for like six months. Literally got saved by listening to messages on the website. And now they're, they, they were in the area and they stopped by the church. And we had a call from a prison today guy who's been listening to the radio, listening to the radio program in the prison. And so you just never know how God's going to use His Word going out. And we should continue to pray for the, the radio ministry run Monday through Friday at 10.30 in the morning on 8.80 a.m. And then also the, the website, we've had hits as far away as Sweden and places like that. You just never know how God's going to use that stuff. But God's Word never returns void, and praise the Lord for that. Well, let's take a look at Leviticus 26 tonight. And let's begin um, first by just... Quick way of review, I'm not going to do a lot of review because we've got a lot of verses to look at tonight, but the first 17 chapters of Leviticus really speak about the, our access to God. And it's really the sacrificial system. We talked about how all the sacrifices in the Old Testament point to Jesus Christ. Every single chapter, or virtually every chapter that you look at in the Old Testament, you're going to see references to the Lord. And it's really sad that in the church today, so many people have gotten away from the Old Testament. But the Old Testament points every chapter virtually to Jesus Christ. So the first 17 chapters talk about our access to God. And then the last 10 chapters talk about our fellowship with God. And the way that we have fellowship with God or the way to God, walking with God, is through salvation. And we saw through that atoning work, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, when the priest would take off his priestly garments and put on that linen robe and go into that most holy place and take the blood of a firstborn spotless lamb and sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat. A picture of Jesus Christ who left heaven as Almighty God, took off His priestly robes. As we know, when He was born, He was wrapped in what? He was wrapped in linen. When He was buried, He was wrapped in linen. And we see that the high priest was wearing linen as He went into that most holy place. He took the blood of a firstborn spotless lamb because Jesus is the Lamb of God. Amen? Who takes away the sins of the world. Well, then we get to the second half of Leviticus, and what we've really been looking at is walking in obedience. I want to encourage you, if you weren't here last Wednesday night, you can grab the tapes, they're free, help yourself. But um, I looked at the year of Jubilee, and just what a clear picture of just God's grace and God's mercy, that every 50th year, every debt was forgiven. They took two years off, they took a year off in the Sabbath year, and they took another year off for the year of Jubilee, and all the debts were wiped out. And again, a picture of God's grace, that He has paid the price for all of our sin. Now tonight we're going to pick up, we're going to take a look at more at the sure word of God. And there, there, I want to say this before we look at the message. There are physical laws that cannot be disputed. They have a cause and an effect. And whether you believe in them or not is irrelevant. Because they are laws that work. If you don't believe in gravity and you walk off a 20-story building, you are going to splat on the sidewalk anyway. Amen? The reality is gravity is gravity whether you believe it or not. Or not. And the reality is that just as there are physical laws... There are spiritual laws that are truth whether you believe them or not. It doesn't matter if 95% of the world's population does not believe in Jesus Christ. He is still God. Amen? 
And he is still the one who paid the price, and he is still coming back. And we're going to see tonight that there's an exhortation to God's people, the children of Israel, as he's going to take some of these spiritual laws that apply to them. And he's going to share the truth with them. And they need to make a response to God's call upon their lives. These laws, again, exist whether we choose to believe in them or not. God's word is more sure than gravity. It's more sure than gravity. God's word is going to endure forever. You know, because Jesus Christ is the word, the Bible says. Amen? And we will be in heaven with him forever. And we probably won't need gravity in heaven. I don't know how it's going to work, but we won't need it. But the word of God endures forever. And as we look at the Word of God tonight, I want you to see very clearly that we're going to witness God's promise to the children of Israel, and He's going to give them two promises. And these are just as sure as gravity, or just as sure as any physical law that exists. More sure. One is that blessings will come to those who obey God, and consequences will come to those who disobey. Now, I want to say this really clear. You are not saved by good works. Amen? It's by faith we've been saved, not of works lest any man should boast. It's a gift of God's salvation. If we had to earn it, it would be a paycheck. Amen? If we had to do works, it wouldn't be a gift, it would be a paycheck. But we, the sin's been paid for, we're going to heaven if we've given our life to Jesus Christ. But I want you to know this, that this message that we're going to look at tonight, he's speaking to the children of Israel. And so it applies directly to them, but I believe that it applies to the church today. Not that Israel is the church, I don't believe that. That's contrary to Scripture in my heart. But here's the thing, I do believe that this message tonight, as he speaks to Israel, has an application to us as believers. And so he's going to speak to Israel, and he's going to let them know, hey, if you obey me, there's going to be blessing. And if you disobey me, there are going to be consequences. Remember again, it's not works that save us, but God is not a no-fun bummer God up in heaven with a lightning bolt waiting to smoke you when you make a mistake. Amen? He's a loving and a gracious God. He's Abba Father. Abba Father means Daddy. You can crawl up into His lap. Daddy's never far away. Amen? He's someone who's always near and dear to you. And that's who our God is. And these verses are written as an exhortation that they would remain obedient to the sure word of God even as they enter into the land of promise. Remember that chapter 25, they're going into Canaan and he was warning them. And now he's continuing to warn them. You're going into Canaan, you're going to be surrounded by idol worshipers, but that's not a reason for you to deviate from my word. You're to be faithful to my word even if nobody else is. If everybody else is worshiping idols, you continue to serve me. Because if you don't, you're going to face the same consequences as the ungodly people do. So, tonight as we look at the sure word of God, we're going to see first that we're to have reverence for God alone and nothing else. We're going to see the blessings for walking in obedience to God's word, then the consequences for walking in disobedience to God's word, and then a clear picture of His grace. So let's begin in verse 1, looking at having reverence for God alone. Look at verse 1. It says, You shall not make idols for yourselves. Neither a carved image nor a sacred pillar shall you rear up for yourselves, nor shall you set up an engraved stone in your land to bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. He reiterates the first two of the Ten Commandments. First two of the Ten Commandments, those of you who are here when I tell you, no other gods before me and no graven image. Amen? And he says, you're going to go into a land where they've got all kinds of gods. They're pagans. And they're worshiping blocks of wood and, and stones and pillars, and you're not to do that. And it doesn't matter how many that they serve or how many that they follow, I've called you to be set apart from that. You're to have no other gods before me, you're to serve no graven image, and he reiterates that fact to them. 
Now keep in mind that they had just come out of Egypt, and Egypt was filled with idol worshipers. So they'd had 400 years of idol worship all around them, and now they've been in the wilderness, and they're going to head into the land of Canaan, and they're going to be surrounded by idol worshipers again. You know, I feel like I can relate a little bit to the people of Israel in those days because I feel like I live in a land of idol worshipers today. Amen? People are out worshiping and hugging on trees and worshiping everything else under the sun. Worshiping whales and stars and, and chanting to moon gods. And, uh, you know, we live in Santa Cruz. And Santa Cruz means Holy Cross and God can bring revival here again. But right now, a vast majority of the people in this city do not believe in God. They deny the existence of God. They, they water down the gospel. Does that mean we go with the flow and we be like the world? God's called us to be in the world but not of the world. They're going into Canaan, but they're not to be like the Canaanites. You know what? We worship God and we minister to the world, but we have no fellowship with it. Amen? We don't come across as self-righteous. We're not holier than thou. We don't look down upon people, but bad company corrupts good morals every time. And he says, guys, you're going in. They're going to be worshiping idols all around you. Don't fall into that trap. Don't worship idols. Guys, don't worship your career. Don't worship your mortgage payment or your 401k plan or your stock portfolio or anything else. The reality is, and I read this in one of my favorite books, I, I want to encourage you, outside of the Bible, my favorite book in the world is called Road to Reality by K.P. Yohannan. And in there, I like to read it, I've read it over and over and over, and one of the things he says in there is a hundred years from now, if the Lord tarries, the, the reality is that nobody on this planet will remember what you look like. Nobody let alone what kind of car you drove, what kind of job you had, or how much money you made, or anything else. But what will matter is what you've done for the kingdom of God. The only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. Amen? And so we see here, he says, look, you're going into Canaan, and what matters is your relationship with me, not how you fit in with the world. It's all irrelevant. Keep your eyes on me. Don't fall into idol worship. Now, had they already done that before? Remember what happened when Moses went up on Mount Sinai? Aaron the greatest youth pastor or assistant pastor ever. I'm kidding. They go, up on a mount, they go up on Mount Sinai and what happens? They start going, where's Moses? We were better off in Egypt. We had leeks and onions back there. Let's go back to Egypt. And then they say, Aaron, make us a god. And so Aaron carves out a calf and Moses comes back down after being away on a retreat hanging out with the creator of the universe. And what does he see his people doing? Worshiping a golden calf. Man, you're fired. You're so fired, you assistant pastor. Right? You're out of here. But the reality is that pe- they fell into idol worship because they wanted a tangible God they could touch. We want a God we can touch, we can put our hands on. That's what the Egyptians have. I want a God like that. You know what? I'm glad that my God's way greater than something I can touch. How about you? He's so much greater than I can even imagine. When we get to heaven, we're going to be blown away. Heaven's going to be greater than we think, and God is greater than we think. And I'm glad I can't figure out God completely. I'm glad I can't put Him into a box. I'm glad I can't carve Him out of wood. Amen? Don't make any idols. Don't, fall, don't be like the Canaanites. Don't walk like an Egyptian. Amen? Don't fall into that trap. Serve and honor me above all else. And he says, I am the Lord. The word there for Lord is Jehovah. It means the self-existent one. He was made by no one. He always has been. He always will be. He created, he sees, he knows, and he hears everything. And he says, you know, I am your God. But the gods that they served were made out of dead blocks of wood. They created nothing. They saw nothing. They heard nothing. And they could do nothing. 
And he says, don't fall in the trap of following nothing. Follow the creator of the universe. May we not get caught up in anything else other than Jesus Christ, him crucified and risen from the dead. Amen? And nothing else is going to matter in eternity. And we too easily get our eyes off of him. He says, I am the Lord your God. The word there is Elohim, speaking of his supremacy as God, supremacy. Verse 2, you shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Why would he talk about this Sabbath? Let me tell you why. One of the easiest ways to fall into idol worship is to stop spending time with the Creator. You stop spending time in the Word. You stop spending, setting aside time in your day to hang out with the Lord. You stop setting aside one or two or three days a week to go and be in fellowship with God and, and spend time in worship and spend time using your gifts. You're on your way to idol worship. Because if you spend all your time in the world, you're going to become like the world. And he said, don't forget about the Sabbath. Enter into my rest. That's what Sabbath is, Shabbat right? It's a time of rest. Enter into my rest. Be still and know that I'm God. Trust in me and you won't get caught up in being like the Canaanites. You know what? The Bible says, forsake not the gathering yourselves together and all the more as the day approaches. We should be gathering together more and more, not less and less. Amen? And, and church should be a get to, not a have to. Oh, it's when I gotta go to church, right? If I'm not there. You know, man, we should be excited to hang out with God's people. So what if you're missing whatever's on TV tonight? Who cares? It's chaff. Amen? And the reality is that we're going to, this is God's word, and this is what transforms and impacts our life. And so he said, don't forget about the Sabbath. Keep my Sabbath. Keep your eyes on me. Set aside time to be in my, pre my presence. Have reverence for my sanctuary by consecrating it for holy use. Don't worship idols. Bring your sacrifices to me instead. The sacrifices that are a picture of the coming Savior. The Bible tells us that without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. I've never seen an idol bleed. How about you? Without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. They're to come on the Sabbath. They're to bring the lambs because it was a picture of the coming Messiah. Resting in the Lord, forsaking worldly pursuits, setting aside time to spend with the Lord. Again, a good antidote for idol worship is hanging out with God. Number two, now he's going to move on from talking about reverencing God alone to now talking about the blessings that come in walking in obedience to the Lord. Look at verse three. He says, if you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them. And if you underline things in your Bible, underline the word if. If you walk, if you keep, if you perform. Here we clearly see that you and I have a power and a decision to choose. He says, if you walk. If you walk. Now, the reality is that God does not force himself on anyone. Amen? We all choose to accept him or reject him. Now, if you're here and you're a Calvinist tonight... God bless you and the Lord loves you anyway, but doesn't work, sorry. Because here's the problem with Calvinism. Calvinism says that God chooses and forces salvation on some and chooses and forces hell on others. That's not the God of the Bible. Amen? Our God is a God of love and grace and mercy. It's His desire that none should perish, no, not one. And as soon as you say that God desires that some go to hell without an opportunity to know Him, you've taken away the God of love and grace and mercy that's in the Bible. Amen? And there's the choice is very clear here. It says, if you do, if, then blessing will come. If you choose to follow me, then blessing will come. If you repent of your sin, you will be born again and spend eternity with Almighty God. But God will not force you. If is the key word here. 
all choose to accept or reject Jesus Christ. We're constantly making choices as believers to walk in obedience to God's Word and the leading of the Holy Spirit or to walk according to the flesh in disobedience to God's Word, running through that Holy Spirit stop sign called conviction. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Every time you sin, what's right in front of you going, no, right? Holy Spirit's going, no, no, and you just, you just go anyway. And He's right there because He loves us, but we choose to sin. Even as believers, we choose to sin. God will never make a sin. Devil can't make you do anything, regardless of what Flip Wilson said 20 years ago. Devil can't make you do anything. You choose to sin. But he says, if you choose to obey, then blessings will follow. But if you choose to disobey me, then consequences will come. Let me just say this. You might say, you know, Pastor Dave, I'm a new believer, and I haven't memorized the whole Bible, and I don't know what all the, all the verses say, and I want to encourage you to stay in God's Word, but I want to encourage you to begin with this. It says in Matthew 22, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You know what? If you fall in love with Jesus, and He's the most important thing in the world to you, the rest of the stuff will take care of itself. Amen? It's hard when you're in love with the Lord to be brutal with your wife. Amen? It's hard when you're in love with the Lord not to be faithful at work. So love the Lord your God with all your heart. Begin there. Love God above all else. And then love people next. And when we walk in obedience, we will have abundant lives with the Lord. It says, if you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them. Now again, grace is not a license to violate the law. Law is holy. It's just and good. The problem is not the law. The problem is me. I'm carnal. I choose to sin. But praise God for His grace. Amen? But, be, but what happens is we get sloppy grace today. We don't have faithless grace or graceless faith. Amen? People want to have you know, faithless grace. I don't have to have faith. I don't have to follow God. I don't have to love Him. God loves everybody. It's all good. I prayed the sinner's prayer. I got the get out of hell free card in my wallet. I can live like the world and it doesn't matter. That's not the Bible. And graceless faith is where I'm trying to do everything on my own works. I'm trying to work my way into heaven apart from the grace of God. We must have faith and grace. Amen? Both of those things must work together. And so he says there, if then a holy set apart life is abundant, produces fruit, and it's only possible when we're empowered by the Spirit of the living God. Those of you been here on Sunday, you saw Peter in the book of John napping, getting in trouble, cutting off ears, denying the Savior, cursing when a little girl confronted him. And then you see him in the book of Acts leading 3,000 people to the Lord in a single day and standing up in front of the most religious leaders of the day and preaching the gospel without compromise. What's the difference? Holy Spirit upon him. He went from trying to do things in his flesh to being filled with the Spirit of the living God. Look at verse 4. So if, he says, then I will give you rain in its season. The land shall yield its produce. The trees of the field shall yield their fruit. So the first thing that happens, if we walk in obedience to the Lord, our lives produce fruit. Remember the parable of the sower? The final ground, the, the good soil, the seeds planted in it, and it says that everything that springs up from it produces much fruit, some 30, some 60, and some 100 fold. If you are born again and you are walking with the Spirit of the living God, your life will produce fruit. Amen? You hear people all the time saying, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. And there's no fruit. Amen? Cussing, yelling, screaming, attitude. Just out of control. I'm a Christian. 
Because I prayed a prayer and I walked an aisle one day. And Christianity is not walking an aisle and praying a prayer. It's a 24-hour day, seven-day-a-week relationship with the creator of the universe. Amen? It's intimate. He's flowing out of me. I'm filled with the Spirit of the living God. That's Christianity. And when we walk with the Lord and we walk in obedience to Him, there will be fruit in our lives. We'll have an impact on the world around us. Remember that healthy sheep beget healthy sheep. Verse 5. Your threshing shall last till your time of vintage, and the vintage shall last till the time of sowing. You shall eat bread to your full and dwell in the land safely. Now, you're going to prosper. And I'm not talking about naming and claiming it, grabbing and blabbing, holy Santa Claus up in the sky telling God what you want stuff, huh? Not that's not what I'm talking about. First of all, I, this kills me when people say that Jesus was rich. The Bible says he had no place to lay his head. Amen. And the reality is that if Jesus were alive today, he'd be driving a Rolls Royce. No, he wouldn't. Stop it. I mean, the reality is that Jesus Christ is concerned about people, not stuff. And what happens is stuff gets in the way. What happens is we begin to pursue stuff instead of pursuing God. And so we see here that he tells them, look, your lives are going to be fruitful and I'm going to provide for you. But what he's talking about is you'll have plenty of your needs, not your wants. You'll be full on what you need. And you know what I found? The more you fall in love with Jesus, the less you need. Amen? You don't need stuff anymore. You don't have, your dream isn't to be famous anymore. Your, your passion is for the person that you know at work that doesn't know God. That's your heart. Things change when you fall in love with the Lord. So, you will, have, you're, you will produce much fruit, and you will have God's provision or prosperity. Again, Not the name and acclaimment kind of prosperity, but the kind of provision it provides for your daily needs. Verse 6, I will give you peace in the land, and you shall lie down. None will make you afraid. I will rid the land of evil beasts, and the sword will not go through your land. Man, I like this one. We will have peace. When you walk in obedience to the Lord, you have peace. A clear conscience is a soft pillow, it's been said. You know, when you're walking with the Lord, you have nothing to be afraid of. Amen? The Bible says there's no fear for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the thing that I see in the world today is no peace. I shared this with you before. Elvis Presley said he would give all his money, all this fame, everything he had for 30 minutes of peace. But let me tell you right now, peace is not the absence of war. Peace is knowing the Prince of Peace. Amen? That's where peace comes from. And I'll tell you what. You can have peace in the midst of a war zone if you're walking with Jesus Christ, and you can be living in a mansion with every single thing that the world has to offer and have zero peace if you don't know Him. And He says, you know what? You walk in obedience to Me, and you're going to have peace. You're not going to need anything else to have peace. Jesus plus nothing. Amen? That's all I need. When, I, when, when you realize that Jesus is all you need when Jesus is all you have. Amen? And we need to come to the point where we're pursuing Him and we're in love with Him and we'll have no fear. You know what? God is in control. Nothing can happen to us unless God allows it. Amen? Anything happen by accident? No such thing. No such thing as luck or accidents in the life of a believer. There's consequences for sin and there's blessings that come from walking in obedience to the Lord and seeking after Him with your whole heart. So, It's fruit of the way that we live our lives. Not only that, we have the promise of heaven. You guys have all heard me say it many times. I tell people all the time, how are you doing? I say, man, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to spend eternity with the creator of the universe where there's no more pain, no more suffering, no more weeping, no more war. 
Praise God, amen? And you know what? Sometimes we're going to heaven. Yeah, I'm going. Dude, what are you talking about? You're going to heaven. You're going to spend eternity with Almighty God. He's preparing a mansion for you. Heaven's going to make Yosemite like, like a dung heap, okay? Heaven is going to be awesome. And you know what? We get excited when the Niners win a game or the Raiders, and that hadn't happened in a while, but when one of those teams win, we get excited. But the reality is that we're going to heaven, and we need to have an eternal focus, and there's joy and peace that comes from that. And we walk in peace knowing the creator of the universe. So that's a promise when you walk in obedience. You'll absolutely have peace. And he says, no sword will go through your land. You'll also have protection. There'll be no beast. There'll be no sword. Remember that if God is for us, who can be against us? Amen? You plus God is a majority. Right? You and God, majority. And we're going to look at that more in a minute as I give an example of that. But when God is on our side, we have nothing to fear. We have peace. We have protection. Praise the Lord for that. Verse 7 and 8. You shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall by the sword before you. Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall put two thousand to flight. Your enemies shall fall by the sword before you. Not only will you have protection, not only will you have peace and provision, but you'll have power. As we walk in obedience, you know what? The enemy can't do anything to us. Amen? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I have nothing to fear. In 1 Samuel 14, a young man by the name of Jonathan and his armor bearer attacked the Philistine army all by themselves. They slayed 20 within the first half an acre. Then God made the earthquake and the entire Philistine army ran away from one guy and his armor bearer. The eyes of the Lord searched to and fro among the whole earth, seeking one he can show himself strong on account of. Amen? Jonathan was that kind of man. What about in Judges 8? Gideon's army, 300 guys, defeated 120,000. If God is for us, who can be against us? You walk in obedience to the Lord, you have nothing to worry about, nothing to fear. Our God is absolutely faithful. Verse 9. For I will look on you favorably and make you fruitful and multiply you and confirm my covenant with you. So not only do we have power and protection and peace and provision, but you know what else we have? We have God's promise that we can walk in obedience, that we'll not only have that peace and protection, but God's promise to, to multiply and to bring fruit into our lives. And praise God for that that our lives will bear much fruit. When we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. Amen? When we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. And I'm not talking about the kind of blessing, again, that the world looks for. The greatest blessing of all is to be used by God in something that's eternal. Verse 10. You shall eat of the old harvest and clear out the old because of the new. Again, God's provision. He'll take care of your physical needs. Verse 11. I will set my tabernacle among you. My soul shall not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God and you shall be my people. I'll tell you what. Here's the greatest one of all. When we walk obedience with the Lord, we experience His presence. He's with us. Doesn't it blow your mind that when you're driving down the freeway that God is in the car with you? Praise the Lord, amen? That the Spirit of the living God dwells within you. We are the tabernacle. It says the tabernacle will dwell with you, but the tabernacle at our temple today is us. And wherever we go, the Holy Spirit is with us. He leads and guides and directs our lives. And you know what? When we walk in obedience to Him, there's much fruit that comes from it. Many blessings that come. Obedience draws us into His presence, into intimate fellowship with you. And again, we are the Holy Spirit. Israel, again, we're His people, but today as Christians, we're His sons and daughters. And He's our Abba Father, and we can be near to Him. 
But know this, as we'll see in a minute, that when we choose to sin, we break fellowship with Him. We don't, we're not, we don't get dis, you know, taken out of the family. We don't lose our inheritance. We're still His kids. But we can break fellowship with Him. God's desire is we walk in obedience before Him. Verse 13, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be their slaves. I have broken the bands of your yoke and made you walk upright. You know what? He's already delivered us from bondage. Bondage in the Bible is a type of what? Sin. And Egypt is a type of what? The world. He's delivered them out of Egypt, out of the world. We're aliens here, guys. If you haven't figured that out already, that's what we are. Amen? We are heaven bound and we are aliens here. And so it doesn't make sense to us. We don't, we don't strive after the deck chairs in the Titanic because it is a sinking ship. And the reality is that we're going to heaven, and that's what really matters. And eternity is what really matters. And we see here that God delivered us from bondage. He had brought them out of Egypt. They were no longer slaves, and now they were able to walk upright. And one of the things I loved about upright, the word there also means with heads lifted up. Instead of bowing before and being under the yoke of bondage of the world, now they've been delivered from bondage, and they walk with their heads lifted up. Their eyes no longer focus on the world, but their eyes focus on the creator of the universe. He says, I've delivered you from bondage. Guys, remember, walk in obedience to me, because all I've done is bless you. I've delivered you. Has, your God, has God ever done anything to you or for you that wasn't right or best? He loves you. Amen? He knows what's best for you. We need to learn to trust in Him. You and I are no longer citizens again of this world. We've been delivered from the bondage of sin. His yoke is easy, His burden is light, and our focus needs to be heaven. So, quickly, in obedience comes blessing. And when we're blessed, we become productive, prosperous, we have peace, we have protection, we have power, we have His promise, we have His provision, and most of all, we have His presence. Praise the Lord for that. And I want to say this real quick. You don't get all of those things because you seek after them. We don't strive for prosperity, and we don't strive for provision, and we don't strive for, for peace. You know what we strive for? Jesus. Amen? The Bible says in, in Matthew, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Those are byproducts of being in love with the Lord. We don't strive for provision. We don't strive for peace. We just fall in love with the Prince of Peace and hang out with Him, and peace happens. Amen? We fall in love with Him and provision takes care of itself. We seek after Him. That needs to be our focus above all else. Pursuing God and and the ultimate result will be intimacy with Him. Now we're going to take the exact opposite look here as the consequences for walking in in disobedience to God's Word, beginning in verse 14. But if you do not obey me, and do not deserve, observe all these commandments. And if you despise my statutes, or if your soul abhors my judgments, so you do not perform all my commandments, but, but break my covenant, I also will do this to you. Is that pretty clear? Remember, gravity. It's a law. God says it, that settles it. Amen? God said, if, again, means it's a choice. You can choose to walk in obedience or you can choose to walk in disobedience. You can choose to put me first in your life or you can choose to put your career first in your life. You can choose to seek after Almighty God or you can choose to be famous before the world. It's your choice. Just know the consequences come with it in either direction. If you seek after Him, there will be fruit. If you seek after the world and you pursue after anything else and you deny God's calling on your life, there will be 
consequences. So let's take a look here as we move on. He says, I will do this. Break his covenant. Go away from God's promise. Say, God, I don't need you anymore. I don't, I don't care what you've done for me. It doesn't matter to me. I'm going to pursue my own will, pursue my own way. And disobedience is going to produce several things. Look at verse 16. He says, I will also do this to you. I will even appoint terror over you. So when you walk in disobedience to God, you walk in trouble and in fear. Now, there's no fear for those in Christ Jesus, but there's a great deal of fear for those who don't know God. I've been in a hospital with people who are dying, and I've been with those who know God and those who don't. And let me just tell you something. It's night and day. Christians die well. Amen? Hey, absent from the body, present with the Lord. It's graduation day, man. It doesn't get any better. I'm going to close my eyes and open them up in glory. But if you don't know God, what is there? Intense fear. Holding on to life. Striving to live one more day. To postpone the inevitable. Because i got to hang on and there's fear. And he says, if you, dis- you deny me and you disobey me, you will walk in terror. You will walk in fear. And when you witness to people, one of the things I tell people all the time, in a loving way, I said, you know, I'll tell you something right now. You don't have peace. And you can't. I don't care how... You know, if I just had a little more money in the bank, then I'd have peace. If I could just meet the right girl, the right guy, then I'd have peace. If we could just have one more child, then I'd have peace. If I could just buy a house, then I'd have peace. If I could just get that promotion at work, then I'd have peace. And there's always something else. That's Rockefeller. How much money did you need to be happy? Was it one million, five million, ten million? His answer was a little bit more. The answer is always a little bit more. And the reality is that there's no peace apart from Christ. And so people strive after the things of this world and they're going to live in terror and live in fear. Look what it says. It will, there'll be terror over you, wasting diseases and fever that shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart. Now, wasting disease could be consumption or it could also be leprosy. Those of you who are here, we we're going through Exodus and earlier in Leviticus. Leprosy is a type of what? Sin. And what does leprosy do? It kills. It's an incurable disease that kills. That's what sin does. The only people you ever see being healed of leprosy anywhere in the Bible were touched by who? Jesus. And the only thing that will cure us from sin is Jesus. Amen? And he's saying, if you walk in disobedience to me, then the consequences will include things like leprosy. Diseases that will kill you. But I also find this interesting, that it will consume the eyes and cause sorrow of the heart. You're going to be blind. Have you ever noticed that somebody's walking in total disobedience to God, how spiritually blind they are? You can stand right in front of them and go, dude, do you have any clue where you're headed? No, man, it's all good. I'm done doing fine. Dude, you got barf on your shirt. You don't have a job. Your life's a train wreck. Your wife's not talking. I'm doing just fine. No, you're not. But they're blind spiritually to truth. You, show, you know, God loves you. Oh, man, I'm good. I'm doing just... No, you're not. And the reality is that when we walk in disobedience, we become more and more blind every step we get away from the Lord. Amen? I've counseled so many people, and you just want to shake them. What are you thinking? They're on a bus that's headed off a cliff, and they don't care. I'm, I'm right where I want to be. No, you're spiritually blind. There's a God who loves you, a God who cares. And you know what? You'll have a broken heart, it says there. You'll be grieving without hope. You know what? As Christians, we grieve, but not as those without hope. Amen? We grieve, and, and we're to share one another's burdens, and we're to encourage and love each other, but we don't grieve as those without hope. We grieve knowing what's on the other side of our grief. 
He says there also that you sow your seed in vain, for your enemies will eat it. You know what else? Along with a life filled with terror and disease and blindness and brokenheartedness, you're going to live a life that's fruitless. There will be zero fruit. When we walk in disobedience to God, our lives cannot bear fruit. Period. You know what, man? I just haven't, I haven't, haven't had a chance to share my faith lately. You know what? How are you doing in your devotional time? How are you doing in your worship time? How's your own individual walk with the Lord? It's amazing how when you're hanging out with the Lord that you love to share your faith. And it's also amazing how you get dry when you don't spend time with Him. Amen? And He's saying here your life will be fruitless when you don't spend time with the Lord. Verse 17. I will set my face against you and you shall be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you shall reign over you and you shall flee when no one pursues you. My face will be against you. You know where it says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Well, if God is against us, who can be for us? Amen? I will set my face against you. That's not good. If God says, I'm against you. Oh, wait a minute. Back up the truck. Let's fix that right now. Right? I want to be on God's side. Everybody else can be against me, but I want to be on God's side. And he says, I'm going to set my face against you. I'm going to exert wrath and my power against you. And you know what? You're going to be defeated by your enemies. And this was fulfilled because we saw the Philistines running over the top of the Israelites when they were walking in disobedience to the Lord. You'll see Israel disobey God. They'll get away from the Word. They'll start worshiping idols. And then what happens? Philistines come. The Amalekites come. The Midianites come. The Canaanites come. Why? Because they're walking in disobedience and they've walked out of the protection of the Lord. Said, Lord, I don't need you. We're going to do it myself. And then they wonder why consequences come. You know what, Lord, we stopped praying at home, but I just can't figure out why my wife and I don't get along anymore. You've walked away from Him. Put God first in your home. One out of every two marriages where they don't pray ends in divorce. One out of every 1,052 marriages where they pray ends in divorce. Do you think we ought to be praying together? Amen? We need to be praying. We need to have a, that, again, putting God first in our marriage. Again, you'll be under bondage to those you hate. And this happened in the days of Daniel. The Babylonians put them into captivity. You'll flee when no one pursues you. This is no peace. They're going to be running away and thinking someone's after them all the time. Right? You ever met anybody like that? That they're always, someone's trying to get me, right? That's no peace because they're not walking with the Prince of Peace. And the Lord says if you walk in disobedience, that's where you're going to be. Verse 18. And after this, if you do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. Now here's the reality, that when we walk in disobedience to God, consequences will come. And if we just keep heading in that direction, it's only going to get worse. Amen? Well, you know, I've gotten this far and He hasn't struck me down with lightning yet. Well, don't walk too fast. Right? I mean, so often we think, well, I've gotten away with it. Your sin will find you out every single time. Amen? God's grace is not God's permission to sin. The fact that you have not got caught yet does not mean it's okay with God. I think people tell me that. Well, nothing bad's happened yet. Well, how about the fact that you're separated from God in your own personal relationship with Him? How bad is that? And He set His face against you. That's what it says in the text. That's pretty bad. Amen? But what happens is, people get hard. And they stop hearing His voice. And I'm talking about Christians now. That we can get in rebellion against God and we can start pursuing the world and then we can fall into what is a carnal or backslidden state. 
And the Lord desires that we seek Him every morning, that we continue to have that Sabbath so we don't fall away from Him. He says, after this, if you don't obey, the consequences are going to get worse. If you're not broken, if you're not repentant, I will punish you seven times more. Seven in the Bible is the number of what? Perfection or completeness. There's going to be complete and total judgment. Verse 19. I will break the pride of your power. I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze. God will break them of their pride in their own power. If you're trusting in your own ability, God will break you of that. Because at some point you're going to realize you can't do it. There's going to come something in your life. You're going to get a disease that you can't beat by yourself. Something's going to happen in your life that's going to make you come back to Him. And here's the reality. Sometimes as Christians, the, the, the only time we really spend intimate time with Him is when we go through difficulty. And then we wonder why we're going through so much difficulty. The Lord says, I miss you. I haven't seen you in a while. You know, every time something heavy goes on, man, you're praying, that's good. You know what, maybe, hey, let's give a little disease once in a while, a little, you know, missing a paycheck and get laid off from work. If it gets you back in a relationship with God, it's worth it, amen? And what happens is that we can get caught up in chasing other things. And he says here, and your strength shall be spent in vain, for the land shall not yield its produce, nor shall the trees of the land their fruit. He's going to bring a drought. There'll be no rain. And without rain from heaven, I don't care how much you dig, you're not growing nothing. Amen? The Israelites didn't have a lot of rivers around to plant their, their fields by. They needed rain. And if they didn't have rain from heaven, they had to be trusting in God at all times to provide for them. Just remember that everything that belongs to you came from God. And He alone should be glorified and honored for it. Verse 21. Then if you walk contrary to me and are not willing to obey me, I will bring seven times more plagues according to your sins. So now, I'm going to break your pride. And even if after your pride has been broken, you continue on in your sin, then it's only going to get worse. I will also send wild beasts among you, which shall rob you of your children, destroy your livestock, and make you few in number. He's going to send a plague of wild beasts. And in 2 Kings 2.24, you see the fulfillment of this. What happened was that the kids were mocking Elisha. Anybody remember that story? And they're mocking Elisha. When I was a youth pastor, I used to love to tell this one. But the kids were mocking Elisha, and they said, Go up, bald head, go up, bald head, and they cursed God. And you know what happened? Two bears came out of the trees and ate the youth group. It's in the Bible. I Look it up. They mauled them. I don't know if they ate them. But they mauled the youth group. They tore them to pieces. It's in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 24. And the plague of wild beasts, what would it do? It would bring economic devastation, extreme fear. People would be afraid to travel. People wouldn't want to spend any money. People wouldn't want to go anywhere. Does that sound familiar? People don't want to travel. Because of fear of wild beasts. The economy gets hit because of fear of wild beasts. 9-11. Fear of wild beasts, amen? Again, not an exact, but I mean, I see a picture of that in 9-11, right? People become fearful. They're afraid. Oh, there's lion in the street. I can't go out. Something could happen. I don't want to fly overseas. There might be a bomber on the plane. And the economy takes a hit. And you know what? Maybe our economy needs to take a hit. Amen? Man, whatever it takes for God to be glorified. Whatever it takes to bring us to the end of ourselves. And so we see here that the plague of wild beasts is going to come. And it says there in verse 23, Then the priest shall reckon to him, oh, excuse me, 22, And if a man dedicates to the Lord a field which he has bought, which is, which is excuse me, what did I do here? Jumped over, okay, I'm sorry. Verse, 20, verse 22, And it says, If by these things you are not reformed by me, 
but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you, and I will punish you yet seven times for your sins. He says, I'm going to keep warning you, and then if you keep walking contrary to me, punishment's going to keep coming. And he's saying this. Now, why does God punish us? The Bible says those who he loves, the Lord what? He disciplines or chastens. He disciplines us not because he hates us, but because he loves us. He swats us because he says, I love you. Dave, don't go there. You're going to get hurt. Let me grab you. Let me swat you on the rear end. Let me get you back over here where you belong. He says, if you keep walking contrary to me, I'm going to keep turning up the heat. Parents, isn't that what we do? You know, it starts off with a warning, then it's a swat, then it's, you know, and it just keeps getting worse because we have to do whatever it takes to keep them out of the freeway so they don't get hit by the bus. We have to take whatever measures are necessary. And this is what the Lord is saying. Guys, if you keep walking contrary to me, eventually what's going to happen is I'm just going to keep turning up the heat because I love you and I want to draw you back into a place of fellowship with me. Continued sin and rebellion would result in even greater consequences. Remember again that Great, God's grace is not a permission for us to sin. Verse 25. And I will bring a sword against you that will execute the vengeance of the covenant. When you're gathered together within your cities, I will send pestilence among you, and you shall be delivered into the hand of your enemy. You know what? He's saying, I'm going to bring pestilence. I'm going to allow the enemy to come against you. The sword's going to come against you. We know that it says in, in uh, number 16, the pestilence came and 14,700 Israelites were killed after complaining about Moses and Aaron. They complained about God, they bickered against God, and God brought pestilence. And it was actually God himself, it says. He says, Aaron and Moses, move back, because I'm coming. And the cloud fell on him, and 14,700 people died. Why? Because they were in rebellion against God. And again, I'm not trying to paint God as a no-fun bummer God, but what happens is we walk in rebellion against Him, we walk away from the Lord, and we walk away from His covering and away from His blessing. And we say, I'm going to live my life my own way. I don't care. And then we'll be Christians, and we'll be cheating on our wives, and then we'll wonder how we came down with the disease or somebody turned it up pregnant. You walked away from God when you chose to sin. Amen? When you chose to steal from your boss, you walked away from God at that moment. When you chose to, to be abusive to your family, when you chose to, to get involved with, with pornography, or whatever sin it might be, you choose to do things that impact your walk with the Lord and there are consequences that come. Now, you don't stop being His son. He still loves you. But sin has consequences every single time. And I'm encouraging you because I love you and the Lord loves you. And we need to be careful not to fall into the trap of I got the get out of hell free card and I can live like the world. It says in verse 26, when I've cut you off, Cut off your supply of bread. Ten women shall bake your bread in one oven. They shall bring back your bread by weight, and it shall eat, and you shall eat and not be satisfied. He's saying, you know what? When I cut off my provision for you, famine will come, and ten women will be able to share one oven that should provide for just one family, because there won't be enough bread, and you won't be satisfied when you eat of it. You know the Bible tells us that your flesh will never be satisfied. The biggest lie Satan ever tells you, one of the biggest ones, is. Just go ahead and do it, then you'll be satisfied and you'll get it out of your system. Ever heard that lie before? Your flesh will never be satisfied. When you feed your flesh, it doesn't die, it grows. Amen? We need to put the flesh to death. And you don't put it to death by feeding it a grilled cheese sandwich, right? When you feed the flesh, it grows. And he's saying right here, I'm going to cut off your supply of bread 
And you're not going to be satisfied because you're walking in the flesh. And after all this, if you do not obey me, but walk contrary to me, and I also will walk contrary to you in fury, and I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sin. Again, a continued lack of repentance, even greater consequences, and facing of the wrath of God. You know what? Sometimes we think it's unfortunate when somebody that we know that is a Christian gets caught in their sin. I don't think it's ever unfortunate. I think it's God's way of lovingly drawing them back into fellowship. You know what? When we confront someone with their sin, it's never to be vindictive. It's always to restore them back to fellowship. Amen? If you know someone's struggling, you go one-on-one in love and say, Bro, I see what's going on, man. You know what? That breaks the heart of God. You need to be restored back. Let me pray with you. You need to be restored back to fellowship. If he doesn't do it then, you go with two. If you won't do it then, you bring them before the church, but you do it not to embarrass them or break them down or harm them. You do it to restore them to fellowship because that's always God's highest. Verse 27, verse 29, excuse me. You shall eat the flesh of your sons. You shall eat the flesh of your daughters. I mean, how heinous does it get? They're going to get so hungry that they start to eat their children. 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 28 and 29 Woman comes to a woman during a time of famine and says, Give your son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. In Lamentations chapter 4, it says, They have cooked their children, and it became food for them. There's no depth of depravity of man who walks in rebellion to the sure word of God. It's amazing that how deprived man can get when he walks away from God. The further away we get from the Lord, the harder and harder our conscience becomes and the more we're going to sin. Let me finish up here. Verse 30. I will destroy your high places and cut down your incense altars and cast your carcasses on the lifeless forms of your idols and my soul shall abhor you. I will, lay, I will lay your cities waste and bring your sanctuaries to desolation. I will not smell the fragrance of your sweet aromas. He's saying, I'm going to destroy the places where you worship idols. You know what? You become like what you worship. If you worship idols you become like them and if you worship the lord you'll become more like him he says my soul shall abhor you there's another word for abhor anybody know what it is hate hate my soul will hate you that's a heavy place to be in hate where you put god in a place where he has hatred toward your actions verse 31 i will lay your cities to waste and bring your sanctuaries to desolation i will not smell the fragrance of your sweet aromas you know what this is saying when aromas went up sweet aromas remember they burnt the incense what is incense always a picture of in the bible prayer he says i will not smell your aromas when you are walking in disobedience to god you break off fellowship with him and he will not hear your prayers until you pray a prayer of repentance some people struggle with that that's reality God cannot have sin in His presence. Amen? We've been washed white as snow, but when we choose to sin and we're walking in rebellion to Him, we cannot draw near to His presence. Verse 32. I will bring the land of desolation, and your enemies who dwell in it shall be astonished at it. I will scatter you among the nations and draw out a sword after you. Your land shall be desolate and your cities waste. Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbath as long as it lies desolate and you are in the enemy's land. Then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. This was fulfilled when... They were captive by the Babylonians. We talked about this last week, that every seven years they were supposed to rest for a year. And for 490 years they didn't rest. Remember that? They said, hey, if we work seven years straight, we can make more money, we can have more stuff. Kind of like when we say, if I keep working on Sunday, I don't have to spend time with the Lord. I'll have more stuff. I can buy a bigger ski boat and I can get more stuff. And so I just deny God and I keep pursuing the world. 
But you know what God did? God said, okay, 490 years, you haven't had the Sabbath year, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you in bondage to the Babylonians for 70 years, and I'm going to get my Sabbaths that way. You can pay me now, or you can pay me later. Amen? He said, you can either spend time with me, or you can reap the consequences of it. And so they were in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. And during that time, the land laid waste. Verse 34. 35, excuse me. As long as it lies desolate, it shall rest. For the time it did not rest on your Sabbaths when you dwelt in it. And as for those of you who are left, I will send faintness into your hearts and the lands of your enemies. The sound of a shaken leaf shall cause you to flee. They shall flee as though fleeing from a sword, and they shall fall when no one pursues. Remember again, when you walk with Christ, no fear. Walking apart from Christ, afraid of everything. Amen? We have nothing to fear, but they fear everything. Disobedience, no peace. 37. They shall stumble over one another as it were before a sword when no one pursues, and you shall have no power to stand before your enemies. So the Bible says earlier in the text that when you walk in the Spirit, when you walk in obedience, you have power. And when you walk apart from Him, when you walk in disobedience, you have no power. 38 and 39. You shall perish among the nations, and the land of your enemies shall eat you up. And those of you who are left shall waste away in their iniquity in your enemies' lands. Also in their fathers' iniquities, which are with them, they shall waste away. What is the end result of sin? Death. Sin brings forth death. The wages of sin is death. Outside of God's will, constant fear, no power, perishing among the enemies, the future is bleak. Let me close with this though. Last six verses. Here's the good news. That those who walked in disobedience, those who've turned their backs on God, you can take a million steps away from God, but it's only one step back. Amen? No matter how far away you get from the Lord, He's right there and He wants to receive you back into fellowship. No matter how bleak it's gotten, no matter how far away from Him you've gotten, look at these last six verses. But if you confess, if they confess their iniquities and the iniquity of their fathers with the unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me, and that they also have walked contrary to me, and that I have walked contrary to them, and have brought them into the land of their enemies, if their uncircumcised hearts are humbled, and they accept their guilt, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob, my covenant with Isaac, my covenant with Abraham. I will remember, and I will remember the land. He says, you know what? If you come to a place of confession, and brokenness, and repentance, there will be restoration. When confronted with sin, we can do one of three things. We can make excuses, we can accuse others, or we can repent. And he's saying, you know what, no matter how far away you've gotten, all these, this calamity has come because we've chosen to walk away from God. I want to say this real clear too, though, and we're almost done, but I want to say this. Just because you're going through difficulty does not mean you're in sin. Amen? Sometimes we're walking in the center of God's will, and we go through the most difficult time of our life ever. But that's God's way of of allowing us to be a testimony in the midst of difficulty. Amen? But then there is the opposite where we just choose to sin and the consequences that come are not because God is using us as a testimony, but we're reaping the consequences of our actions. But he says in the midst of that, if we will repent, then God will remember his covenant, his promise. Verse 43, the land also shall be left empty by them and will enjoy its Sabbath while it lies desolate without them. And they will accept their guilt because they despised my judgments and because their soul abhorred my statutes. They hated God's judgments and they hated His Word. You know what? Is there a hatred for God's Word today? Big time. 
people spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to get Ten Commandments taken off of walls. To get marble things rolled out of the way. Because people hate God's Word and they don't want to see it. And they don't want to be judged by it. So they want to get rid of it. And he said, you know what? Judgment comes when you have hatred toward my Word. You know what? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by Word of God. Read the book, don't wait for the movie, right? We need to be in God's Word. Because that's what transforms us and makes us more like Him. But the enemy wants to rid himself of it. Verse 44. Yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away, nor shall I abhor them, nor utterly destroy them and break my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. But for their sake I will remember the covenant of their ancestors, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God. I am the Lord. I believe this portion, while had fulfillment back then, I believe the ultimate fulfillment of this portion of the text is that even though they've been scattered, God did not forget Israel. Amen? Now, I want to say this. This won't be popular. Israel is in rebellion against God right now. Amen? Okay? He loves them. They're His people. They're in rebellion. They need to repent. Those of you who go to Israel with us, they have a hatred for the Lord right now. But do you know that when the millennial reign comes, there's going to be a mass number of Jews that get saved. Amen? And I believe that God is still going to do a work in Israel. But, because, you know, people think because we're of Israel, you know, I'm, I'm pro-Jesus, that's what I'm pro. Amen? And, and again, I, I'm for Israel, and I want to see God do great things there. But I'm not for the Jews right now who are in rebellion against God, because they're in rebellion. Amen? Just like there are Gentiles in rebellion. There's no more Jew or Gentile, slave or free. There's believer and unbeliever. Amen? There's those who are following Christ and those who are denying Him. And that's the key. And what we're seeing here again is that he is going to have a time with, with that millennial reign where he's going to gather his people back together. Verse 46. These are the statutes and judgments and laws which the Lord made between himself and the children of Israel on Mount Sinai by the hand of Moses. So the sure word of God. Blessings for walking. When you walk with the Lord, there's provision, there's peace, there's protection, there's power, there's, there's fruitfulness, there's the promises of God. You can walk in his presence. But the consequences for disobedience is fear and disease, and blindness, and brokenheartedness, and defeat, and bondage, and fleeing when no one pursues, and being punished seven times over, and drought, and plagues of wild beasts, and swords of God against you, and pestilence, and famine, and starvation, and desolation, and again, no peace and no power, and the end result is death. Let me just say this before we pray. God's Word is one of two things to you, just like the cross is. It's either the point of salvation or the place of judgment. Amen? We look at the cross and we rejoice in the cross. The most heinous death a man ever died on this planet, and we rejoice in it. Why? Because it's where we were saved. Amen? His blood was shed for us. But for those who don't know God, it's not a place of salvation, it's a place of judgment. And God's word is the same. It's either something that points to salvation and opens our eyes to our need for a Savior, or it's what will judge us if we deny it. God's Word is key. And so I want to encourage you again. He's a God of grace, a God of mercy in the midst of man's rebellion. And you know what? Maybe, maybe you're here tonight and you walk with God as where it should be. Maybe you, you're in rebellion in certain areas of your life. I want you to know you can be a million steps away from God, but it truly is only one step back. He loves you unconditionally. He that knows me best loves me most. He'd rather die than live without you. Amen? That's how much He loves you. He's numbered the hairs on, his, on your head. You're His treasured possession. And so you may feel like you're totally blowing it. He's right there just saying, turn back to me and I'll restore you to a right relationship. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank You and praise You for Your Word. And we thank You that, Lord, while You are a, a God of, of holiness, a God who desires that we walk in obedience to You, but, Lord, You're also a God of grace and mercy and forgiveness. Lord, all of us are sinners and we've fallen short of Your glory. None of us is perfect. Lord, none of us can walk in obedience to You apart from the empowering work of Your Holy Spirit. Father, we ask Your Holy Spirit would fall upon each one of us. You'd help us to walk in obedience to You. But Father, when we are outside of Your will, when we've made a conscious decision, Lord, to rebel against You, I do pray, Lord, that You would bring the conviction that is necessary. Lord, even the consequences, Lord, to bring us to the end of ourselves and draw us back to a place of repentance. Father, there's no place we'd rather be than walking in the center of Your will. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And again, we just thank you that you are a God of grace and mercy. And again, I pray for anybody here, Lord, who right now maybe is not where they need to be with you. That, Father God, that right now, even in their heart, they would just cry out to you, Lord, and say, forgive me. Lord, knowing that you will restore them. So, Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. let's stand and close a worship song.